Are you ready? This is Moffat on the Mic on the A1 Sports Network. Bow to the masters. Break it down. Mike, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Judging by that hair, you are ready. <laughs> How you doing, everybody? And welcome to the Moffat on the Mic show. We are live, as always, on the A1 Sports Network. We've been a little off for a few weeks, but we're glad to be back. I am... Craig Moffat, and of course, this show would not be complete without the production stylings of the one and only Chris Clem. What's up, Craig? A little salty, Clem. Not going to really blow smoke up your ass. A little salty today. And I'm just going to get right into it. We'll talk about the Jets later. The Jets Jets and Giants are pretty much shocking the world right now. Mm-hmm. With the way they've been playing, um, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get it, just as long as you get the W. That's pretty much all I give a shit about at the end of the day. <clears throat> but... You know, I never felt comfortable for the last month with the way the Mets have been playing baseball. It was one of those things where, yes, the Mets were sweeping, were like taking two out of three and, and everything, but the Braves were sweeping series. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is that when that happens, you just watch it slowly kind of break down. And then like a five-game lead becomes a three-game lead, which then becomes a two-game. And the schedule makers gave the Mets a gift with their very easy schedule to come out of the second half where they had the Nationals, they had the Pirates, they had the Cubs and everything. And leave it to the freaking Mets to make that a challenge. Losing two out of three to Washington where they got outscored 14 to two. Then you lose that game to the Pirates where they went, they beat you, I think like seven to two or something like that. Then you get swept by the Cubs at, at home. And we always knew it was going to come down to this series with the Braves in Atlanta. But you know what bothered me the most about this weekend? Is that once again, and we've said it on the show time and time again, Clem, there's never a killer instinct with the Mets. It's almost as if the Mets have no idea what they're playing for. You had a two and a half game lead going into Oakland. You win two out of three, but then, you know, the lead just starts to break down. And we always knew it was coming to this Brave series. They fucking knew it was coming to this series. And once again, we have a situation where the Mets, and it doesn't matter who manages the team, whether it was Mickey Calloway, whether it was Court, whether it was um, Rojas, and now it's Buck. This team has zero sense of urgency, and they simply don't get up for big games. And that's the shit that has always bothered me about this team. You could put anybody you want on this team. It doesn't matter. But you just see the same result. You're going into a series. You have Jacob DeGrom, night one. Max Scherzer, night two. And Chris Bassett, night three. Your three best starters. And you have a lineup that can easily match up with the Braves. And you don't show up. So I don't want to hear from SNY about how the Mets are still shocked about what happened, like it was a big fucking surprise and everything. They did not show up. That is not a playoff team, in my opinion. That is not a team that is going to beat Atlanta in a best-of-seven series. That is not a team that is going to beat the Dodgers. 
I don't care what they did this season when they played well against Atlanta in the beginning. You know, they swept the Yankees at City Field. They, you know, took two out of three against the Dodgers at home. They split the Dodgers series in Dodger Stadium. That's all in the past. It's about now. Mm-hmm. And this fucking team did not show up. No, you're absolutely right. And like you, you said it best, we had our three best pitchers on the mound going up against the Braves. Must win. This, these were must-win games that we had. All we had to do was win one game. You had to win one game between DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett, who have easily been the Mets' three three best pitchers this whole year, and they blew it. They absolutely blew it. DeGrom had a shitty outing. Scherzer pitched good, but no one scored. No, they didn't score any runs for him. And Bassett was shitty. It was it was like like you mentioned. There was no sense of urgency for this team, and it was like. All they had literally had to do was win one game. You could have lost the series. That's fine. You win one game. That's it's fine. You know, and that's the thing: controlling their own destiny, controlling their own destiny. And they have a hard time at the fucking Marlins. They have a hard time at the Nationals. It, it doesn't matter. And that's what was scaring me about this whole thing. Was here we go with the Mets. Now they're back to doing what they do best. They do the well. We let it get away from us, and you know we, you know they played excellent baseball. No, fuck you. I'd have taken a baseball bat to a Gatorade cooler at that point if we're getting our. And they literally got their ass kicked all weekend. Mm-hmm. Bassett didn't even get out of the third inning yesterday. Scherzer, they're saying, oh, he's still recovering from the oblique injury. Don't want to hear it. Don't care. And Degrom with another meh outing. Mm-hmm. It's inexcusable. It's simply inexcusable that this team is not the least bit fired up to play a series for the division. For the division. And I get it. You know, the Mets take two out of three. The Mets never sweep series for some reason. They just they're they're like must be allergic to it because they never fucking sweep series. They always mm-hmm. give up that third game. And that's the game that's always going to come back to bite you in the ass. While Atlanta is sweeping series, yeah, th- that that was the problem the past few months. It's not that you know the Mets weren't playing good; they were playing they were they were playing good. It's just that the Braves were playing like lights out baseball, and it was like, okay, well, we win, but they win. It felt like they won two games in one night. Like they just kept with the, it kept going and going. And when that whenever the Mets made a mistake and lost, maybe like two games in a row, the Braves would win four in a row. Like it was. It was just nonstop, and now I think that whole ten game like we had a ten game lead on the Braves. That was all smoke and mirrors. Like that wasn't. It's a collapse. Really, it's exactly yeah. what it is. The only difference is this one is more gut wrenching because it was like methodical. Like imagine you ever see those movies where like somebody is just getting like slowly tortured, yeah, and then at the very end they finally just die. Mm-hmm. And like I hate to use that analogy. But this is exactly what it was. It was just this slow torture. And every time the Mets lost the game, the Braves have to remind you that that's where they are and they're right up on your ass. But again, it's just no sense of urgency. No fucking heart. No nothing. Alonzo, quiet. Lindor, quiet. Outside of McNeil, the rest of the lineup didn't hit for shit. Starting rotation, crap. And it's just like 
this is why this is exactly why I just I never set my expectations high for the Mets because they always find a way and it's always they always find a way to let you down. Great, they're making the playoffs. It sh- they shouldn't have to be in the wild card right now. They should be in the fucking division. They should be getting that buy as the number two seed. And now we have to play a wild card series against either the Padres or the Phillies, and you never know who's going to show up in that series. Mm-hmm. I know the Padres have kind of like been been very meh the second half of the season, especially after they made all those trades. But it doesn't matter. This is not what I wanted as a fan. Like, I don't want to be living and dying by the goddamn wild card. Yeah, I, I want this team to fucking go out there and kick the shit out of the Atlanta Braves. They are good enough to do it. There's no reason why they can't do it. And in retrospect, this is what we get. They walk into Atlanta and they got their asses kicked all over the field for three days. Mm-hmm. And it's inexcusable, and I completely blame Buck for that too because he didn't remind them what's at stake. He shouldn't have to do that. They should already know. They should already know that this series means everything. Like you could, like you can't tell me as a Mets player, like you, like I said, you had to win one game. That's all you had to do. You could have lost the series. Fine, lose the series. It doesn't matter. You win one game, you get the tiebreaker. All right, you're tied. You're tied with with the Braves going into a very bad team in the Nationals. Like it's very easy to win to win the East hey, in that situation. Thing, that's the thing, though. See, I don't trust them. Even if they had the tiebreaker, I don't trust them against the Nationals because I could see them mailing it in then too. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Buck is going to do. Buck is conceding the division to Atlanta. It's over. He's not going to play. I don't think these guys are going to play hard at all for the next three days. They have the wild card. The wild card goes through City Field, and that's exactly what he's going to do. That's his home field advantage. Okay? But my problem is your three best starters, and you couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. You couldn't get the big hit. You put Alvarez in a situation that he's that he's just not ready for on the big league level. I'm sorry. He's just not. Like, I'm so I, I Buck, I love him. He's done a great job at the Mets for the most part this year. But the last few weeks, his managerial decisions have been really, really weird. You don't put Francisco Alvarez in that spot. That's a huge task for this kid to take on. That's a confidence killer mm-hmm. if he doesn't deliver it. But it's the same old song and dance with the Mets. It always is. This year is different because they made the playoffs. But we should already have the division. It should be a done deal. And they completely botched it. Completely botched it. And the thing is, is that next year, we have a lot of guys who are free agents. This Mm -hmm. is the window. This is it. We don't know if Brandon Nimmo is going to be back next year. We don't know if Chris Bassett's going to be back next year or Taiwan Walker. We don't know if any of these guys are going to be back. This is the window now. And these assholes just completely messed it up. Every Met fan should be furious right now with the way this team played in Atlanta. 
I don't want to hear Pete Alonso giving me the, you know, glass half full comment. Well, you know, well, we're still in the playoffs, so it's okay. No, fuck you, man. I'm like, you're supposed to be the big leader of the team. I mean, how are you not rallying these guys together or something? Like, I, if I was always going to, I would be pissed. I would be pissed that we just not only, not only got swept by the Braves, but basically handed them the NL East title. It's like, yep, here you go, Braves. Nice, nice knowing you. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see in the division, maybe. But I'm, I'm just like I said. I'm so, I'm just so tired. Like I'm tired of this. Like I want to see my teams dominate, for once. It's like look at the Yankees, right? The Yankees at one point were only up by three and a half games on Toronto and Tampa, and I know every Yankee fan got, you know, got nervous about it and everything. And what has happened since? The Yankees have gone right back to winning games. And just like that, they're back up by nine. There's nothing to play for for the next two days. They're going to the. They won the AL East. They already. I think they have the number two seed because Houston has the number one. But it's like, see what I mean right there? It's like, their backs are to the wall. They've come out swinging. They've won some key series, and just like that, nine games up on you know with nobody coming at them. But everything with the fucking Mets is nail biter. Everything mm-hmm. with the Mets is just you gotta walk a fucking tightrope. It's just it's never easy. They make it so goddamn difficult. And it's so exhausting and it's so tiresome. This lineup has no business going into Atlanta and getting smacked around like that. Mm-hmm. And here is the disturbing part. And I said this to my friend Dave today. I said, the Braves right now. Have a team put together that is the new version of Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, and they have a rotation that is the rivaling John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, and Tom Glavin. And they mm-hmm. are going to fucking torment the Mets for years because the Mets don't have the prospects to match that. They don't. The Braves have quietly put together an incredible young nucleus and they're all locked up long term. Mm-hmm. Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, yeah. Austin Riley, Ozzy Albies, the other kid, Michael Harris. All these guys are locked up. Max Freed, Kyle Wright's a 20 game winner. Charlie Morton is a great veteran for the rotation. They just brought him back right. at the end of the year. Strider, yeah. Strider. It's fucking embarrassing. It's embarrassing. They should be furious and take that shit out on the wild card team. Shit, I would have fucking beamed Austin Riley just to get just to send a message to my team like, yo, guys, what the hell's going on? Like if we if we don't win the wild card in two games, that's an embarrassment for the Mets. I'm telling you right now. I'm saying it right here on this show. I pray to God I'm wrong, but I know I'm not. The big met the big met big met slogan is you gotta believe right. Mm-hmm. Well, you gotta believe the Mets are are going to get eliminated in the wild card because they don't have that killer instinct. They don't. They're always waiting for the for the lucky break or something. They're trying to match going toe to toe home runs with the Braves. That's not how the Mets play their game. Everyone knows that. And I am incredibly disappointed in Buck. Incredibly disappointed in Buck. 
that he is just he doesn't get. I don't know if it was a case of do these guys not know what's at stake here? Were they just going to say, all right, if we lose, well, we got the wild card. It's okay. Like again, like this is why I don't get I don't get up for baseball as much anymore. I can't. I can't deal with the shit with the with these teams. It it really it really was like I said embarrassing watching the Mets get not like like I said it's not like they were they lost on heartbreakers. It was just the Braves dominated from start to finish each and every game. Like it was it was like what the hell's going on here? Like again, three of our the three best pitchers we have on our team, the three guys we're supposed to be relying on going into the playoffs against the Padres, against the probably now potential the Braves, and then the Dodgers potentially. You know, we, we these are the guys who are supposed to lie, and they just get their asses whooped by the Braves. That's not a confidence booster at all. That's not a confidence that that not what you need going into the playoffs. Whether it's wild card or division, you just get your asses handed to you with your three best pitchers on the mound. No, that's not good. It's a real fucking embarrassment, and I would be embarrassed if I was Pete Alonso, Lindor, all these guys. I'd be embarrassed. Excuse me. It's just got to the point where. Again, like, and I said, I knew it. And I knew it was going to happen. It was only a matter of time because, again, the Mets never get up for these games. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who the manager is. They just never get up for these big games. Never. I've never seen it where they go into Atlanta and they just dominate the Braves for three games. Never seen it. They wilt. They wilt right off the bat because they're already on the road and it's at a disadvantage. And I'm so – freaking sick of it i am so sick of it and i've seen it time and time again time and time again there's always a lull there's always a schedule and again this year the mets got a freaking cakewalk of a schedule the second half of the year okay they got a cakewalk of a schedule cubs nationals marlins pirates two series with the goddamn pirates and everything always has to be just – it's like taking blood from a stone with them. They should have kicked the shit out of all these teams. And they get swept by the Cubs. And not only do they get swept by the Cubs, they didn't even show up for that series either. Mm-hmm. There it is right there. It's always a turning point. Always a turning point with the Mets. It's that one series that they should dominate and they get destroyed. Meanwhile, the Braves – Sweeping the Phillies, sweeping the Nationals, mopping the floor with other teams. Like, I, I don't know what to say anymore with the Mets. Like, it, it, I just don't know if this is ever going to happen because I'm just – it's like you want it to happen so bad, but then you turn around and you watch them play and you're like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Lindor just decides to go to sleep. Alonzo goes to sleep. Nimmo goes to – they all fucking go to sleep. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I was listening to Michael Kay's show earlier today, and my, even Michael Kay said it best. Yeah, they didn't have a bad second half of the season, but they struggled against the teams that they're supposed to be whooping on, just like what the Braves did. The Braves beat the teams. No, not, not even beat. I would say they annihilated the teams that they were supposed to. The Mets didn't. You know, they – yeah, sure, you win two out of three games there, but you really shouldn't be winning two out of three against the the Pirates. You're, you're supposed to be sweeping the Pirates. You're supposed to be sweeping the Cubs. Like these are the teams you got to be dominating against. And the Mets didn't do that. They did the opposite of that. Yeah, they won 
they were well above 500 in the second half of the season. But they didn't win the games that mattered. You know, they 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 chipped away here and there. Yeah, you won. They go into those games too lightly. That's yeah. the problem. They go in thinking they haven't won. That oh, the Cubs they're not playing for anything anymore. We should be able to take care of business. And the Cubs freaking mop the floor with them. The Mets have this ridiculous tendency to get too cocky and too arrogant, and it always comes back to bite them. It happens all the time. It even happened a lot during the Jose Reyes-David Wright years. They got all cocky. And it got to the point where teams just wanted to beat the shit out of them because they got sick of it. Mm-hmm. But it's, again, it's like, I, you know, you want to be happy to be that they're in the playoffs? Fine. I'm very happy they're in the playoffs. Okay? But when you have an opportunity to have so much more, okay, because this is the sad part, Clem, you win as a number two. You go in as a number two seed. You get home field advantage. What if the Dodgers lose in their next round series and the Mets win? Now we're hosting the NLCS at City Field. But if they always have to make it difficult, doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't matter who you put on the team. If you put Shohei Otani on this team, they would make it difficult. If you put Mike Trout on this team, they would find a way to make it difficult. It doesn't matter doesn't you have a rotation of Jacob deGrom Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett and granted the Braves have a solid solid pitching staff they're they're terrific Max Freed Kyle Wright and Morton it probably would have been Strider but he's on the IL and like you didn't even show up like you didn't show up and when I see that it's just arrogance. It's arrogance. It's 1,000% arrogance. Yes, the Braves are a very solid team. The Mets have beaten them plenty of times this year. The Braves have beaten the Mets plenty of times this year. It should never have been a sweep. I was not expecting the Mets to sweep the Braves. No, yeah, neither was I. Okay. But the fact that they got swept and didn't show up just pisses me off more than anything. Yeah, it's like I said, it's not like they – it's not like they were like, oh, you know, that's a nail biter. You know, they got lucky. It was a walk off, whatever. You know, they got their asses handed to them from the beginning, from the first inning Friday night to the ninth inning on Sunday. It was it wasn't even close. Like the Met, they said they fell asleep. They didn't show up to these games with our three best pitchers on the mound too. And you mentioned, you know, now we have to go into the wild card this weekend. The, the, that having that buy is so crucial, especially for the Mets, because we're we've been battling injuries. Marte's injured. You know, you heard Scherzer's still battling an injury. Degrom's been battling injuries all year. You, we need we we could have used that rest. We could have used that week off. But no, now we have to. Now we have to. Scherzer has to play. Degrom has to pitch. You know, all these. We're gonna try and have to maybe rush out Stalling Marte to try and win this series. You know, instead of having that that week off, now we have to play everyone. And they have to play their asses off in order for us to win that. I'm telling you right now. I am telling you right now. They are not winning. They are not advancing past the wild card. It's enjoy it. It was fun. It's over. Because they have shown me nothing that tells me that this is a team with a killer ending. Don't give me fucking 2015. And partly, I think that was a fluke run, if anything. It was. Okay. <laughs> what a fluke. You know, 2006, when we had Game 7 of the NLCS, the Mets didn't show up for that either. 
And I was at that game. So I even know, I know exactly what I saw. The freaking bats didn't show up. Everybody was shitting in their pants about Oliver Perez pitching game seven. Oliver Perez pitched one of the best games of his career. But the Mets couldn't, the Mets refused to hit. Refused, outright refused to hit. And they got lucky because Ende Chavez freaking made one of the greatest catches in team history. It's just, I, I'm so sick of it. Like, I, I'm just beyond tired that of these half-assed performances in big spots. And I got to listen to these douchebags after the game talk about how, oh, yeah, you know, we let that one get away. And, you know, we, we just had all these missed opportunities. No fucking shit you had missed opportunities. Take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Pete Alonso, where the hell are you? Francisco Lindor. million. Where the fuck are you? Can't blame this one on Diaz. Can't blame it on Joely Rodriguez. You blame all three things. Ready? The starting rotation, the fucking lineup, and Buck. Those are the three culprits in this mess. It's an embarrassment. It really is. Because, again, the Mets are just as good, if not better, than the Braves. And there's no, there was no reason for the Mets to get swept by the Braves. There was. There wasn't no any reason why the Mets got, should have got swept. One game. Like until, and they waited until game number 159 to finally mm-hmm. fucking collapse, make it official. It's a fucking joke. It's a joke. And I don't really give a shit who the Mets sign next year because this is the result, folks. And I hope I'm wrong. I swear to God, I hope I'm wrong. But for some reason, I don't think I am. Because it doesn't matter who manages this team. It doesn't matter who you put out there every day. The Mets always find a way because they can never get out of their own fucking way. Mm -hmm. They have no clue what's at stake. They have no clue what they're walking into. They think everything's just going to fix itself. And the Braves just mopped the floor with them. And they embarrassed them in front in, in front of the crowd in Atlanta. Completely exposed the Mets for what they were in this series. Overrated. DeGrom was terrible. Scherzer was not that great. Bassett was brutal. And it's just enough. And Buck has to start rattling some cages. I am so sick of these fucking managers taking the lighthearted approach to everything. Everything is optimism. Everything is, yeah, well, there's still time and everything's going to be fine. You know, we, you know, we're, we're going to, we'll get it fixed and we'll, you know, and everything. And then it doesn't happen. And while teams like the Atlanta Braves are off winning World Series championships, teams like the Mets are sitting home wondering, Oh, my God, if we had just done that, we would have been fine. It's just. It's pain in the ass. It's pain in the ass. They'll never get out of their own way, Club. Never. It'll always be something. It'll always be some bullshit or whatever. And these fucking fans are going to sit there and blame Billy Epler for, well, he didn't do this. He didn't do this. He didn't do this. You know, Billy Epler built a good roster. There's nothing wrong with this roster. Would I have traded four prospects for Darren Ruff? Probably not. But whatever. What's done is done. 
The point is, is that these guys have to execute. It doesn't matter. You could have a lineup of Mike Trout and whoever, and Otani and Judge and whoever you want. But if they don't fucking deliver, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And the Braves have been talking shit about the Mets all year. Yep. And they're backing it up. They're backing it up. How could I disagree with anything that these guys have said? They're dead on accurate. Yeah. No, they they absolutely are. Remember the comment Strider made in August when the Mets swept the Braves and we were ho- we were hooting and hollering like, yeah, we beat the Braves. Fuck you, blah, blah, blah. He was like, yeah, they got us now. We'll just wait until to see what, what happens in October. They got they our won. ass. They won the fucking division. <laughs> they got us. Just an all-around pathetic showing by the Mets. But am I surprised? Not yeah. in the least. Same. All right, now that I got that off my chest, because those assholes don't need any more of my time. <laughs> uh, before we get to the Jets and Giants, I have to talk about this Tua thing. Because, <laughs> okay, where do I begin with this? What I found really funny about the whole Tua thing, okay, is – First of all, when during the Buffalo game, when he can barely stand up and his knees are like wobbling and everything, that might be a clear sign to take him out of the game. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a big advocate for player safety, right? Mm -hmm. But whatever. McDaniel takes him out for a minute, puts him back in. I guess he passed concussion protocol. Fast forward to the game against Cincinnati. Oh, by the way, back in – what was it, back and ankle injuries is what the Dolphins were saying yeah. about two before the Cincinnati game? Okay, you're going to flip this guy out back four days later with back and ankle injuries on a Thursday night game against Cincinnati, okay? And he gets thrown to the ground on a sack. And I'm hearing, like, Carrie's cousin Keith is texting me and he's saying, oh, yeah, he has movement in all of his extremities. I'm like, it was a sack. Like, I didn't know he was paralyzed. <laughs> I mean, but now it speaks to a bigger problem. But here's the thing that bothered me, okay? The day after the game, I'm watching ESPN. I'm watching, like, all the – and I hate ESPN, by the way. ESPN sucks. They Star. absolutely suck. They're going on and on about – and they're trying to blame the NFL. They're trying to blame the league for what happened to Tua. Not one time in in a conversation with them did I hear Mike McDaniel get get reamed out by any ESPN analyst. No, it came back to, well, you know, they really got to start looking at the concussion protocol again. And it's like – and I was blown away. I said, you see, this is what I'm talking about. They love Mike McDaniel so much as a head coach that they're not willing to fucking kill him when he makes a poor decision. Mm -hmm. For Tua to go back into that game, for Tua to be the starting quarterback on Thursday, that is on the head coach. The head coach is the one that's making the decision on that. And maybe, just maybe for the hell of it, you should have just sat him for a week especially because you had the quick turnaround to a Thursday game. 
And it becomes the same tired excuses from all these people. Well, you know, NFL is a, all they care about is making money. So that these, th- these Thursday games should never happen. And the NFL has to really redo their whole concussion protocol. I'm not entirely sure what the NFL can do about the concussion protocol. Mm-hmm. You have licensed medical professionals on the goddamn sideline. Licensed medical professionals. These people went to medical school, did residencies, did all this shit for years and years and years. How do you botch something like that? Right. How do you botch something like that? You just watched your quarterback get thrown down. Mike McDaniel literally just watched his quarterback almost collapse against Buffalo. And he kept him in the game. I don't know. If my quarterback had back and ankle injuries flipping over to Thursday that quickly, I'd be like, no, he's not playing. I'll take the yellow. I got to protect him. But the one thing about the Miami Dolphins is they've always been a shady organization. There's mm-hmm. still a goddamn shady organization between this shit. Because I mean, I can't explain why you would play Tua four days after he did. He looked like that. Yeah. Where he looked like he was almost collapsing and like the players had to help him up. Between that, between the Tom Brady shit with the, the tampering charges, with Tom Brady and Sean Payton because they wanted to get Tom Brady to Miami, and the Brian Flores stuff. This is hands down one of the shadiest organizations I've ever seen in the NFL. No, you're absolutely right. It's fucking insane what's going on in Miami. Like, Getting a coach because to lose games? Are you kidding me? Like, I get it. Like, I mean, no, I don't get it. But, I mean, like, Tua – I mean, the Dolphins were fucking working on all cylinders prior to Tua's injury, and I get you don't want your you want to keep your quarterback out there and keep this offense going and stay undefeated. But if he's not gonna if he's not gonna stay healthy, if he's if you're gonna trot him back out there and possibly lose him for the rest of the year, what the hell's the matter with you guys? The Dolphins were looking really good. The Dolphins were looking like they could potentially win the AFC East. And now, now you you throw that you can potentially throw that out the window if you're gonna just trot out uh, Tua like that. I just don't get it. And the thing that bothers me is Mike McDaniel then making it even worse, which adds another wrinkle to this thing. Was the day was the press conference right afterwards when Mike McDaniel comes out and says, and I don't know if he should have said this or not, but it made him look completely idiotic. He said, "Yeah, afterwards." Tua and I were on the plane. We were sitting next to each other, and he was watching the movie MacGruber, and he was laughing. He and I were laughing hysterically during the flight home. And doctors are saying he can't be watching screens for 48 hours. It could fucking hurt it and make it worse. Yeah. So Mike McDaniel looks like a total moron in this whole thing. And again, the buck stops with him. He's the head coach. The NFL is not telling Mike McDaniel to play Tua. The NFL is not sitting there saying, you got to play him. I don't care if he has a concussion. If he passes a concussion, we got to throw him out there. That is a decision by the coach Mm -hmm. to play Tua. And he chose to play him, which means he is implicated in this whole thing. This poor guy's career could be over. We don't even know. We don't know if he'll ever recover from this. 
just a brutally bad job by the Miami Dolphins. Like 1 million percent. Brutally bad. Because what it tells me is you're 3-0 and and Mike McDaniel is saying, well, I need to fucking win so I could be 4-0 and and everybody could kiss my ass for being coach of the year and everything. Yep. So I'm going to go play him because the doctors tell me it was okay. The guy is injured. He's injured. He's not 100%. And you threw him out there. And he got he got sacked a little bit more violently than he was supposed to, and you watched your quarterback get taken off on a stretcher. It wasn't even just like walking it off; he had to be taken to a hospital. I'm surprised they even released him. I'm surprised they even released yeah. him in the hospital. I was yeah, I was I was stunned at that too because you shouldn't if you if you're, especially in your concussion protocols, they usually at least like to have you overnight. In the hospital, just God forbid anything, you know. And the funny thing about Mike McDaniel was this goes to show you how like like weird this whole thing was, is that you watched your quarterback go off on a stretcher. Okay. You had to get reports saying he's moving his extremities. Okay. Mm-hmm. You take him to a hospital for observation. Amidst all of that, instead of just saying, I can't comment on it right now. Or just say, you know, two is doing okay, whatever. You tell a story about him on a plane watching a movie like nothing had happened. Like, do you know how freaking weird that is? Bad guy. That is unbelievably sketchy. They so go out there and you're telling the press, yeah, we sat next to each other on the plane. And it was really great. I mean, the only thing that was missing from the story was like, oh, yeah, we had a couple of hookers with us and everything was great. You know, like, he, he's fine. You know, like it's just so strange. Like the yeah. whole thing is strange and he's playing it off. Like it's not a big deal. When you tell a story like that, when you say, yeah, Tua and I were sitting next to each other on the plane and he's doing fine. And we were watching a movie together and we're laughing and laughing and whatever. And I'm sorry, but of all the movies you could watch, McGruber, <laughs> McGruber, that wasn't even a funny 30 seconds get on SNL. There's no way that movie's hysterically funny that the two of them are laughing on a plane from London. McGruber, really. The thing is, you know why I believe his story? Because he used the movie McGruber. Because I was saying, no one, I was saying yeah, no one's using that. I could pull any other movie out. I could even pull a horror movie out. I would have said, yeah, we'll watch Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. And we were laughing and laughing at people getting slaughtered for like the last 30 minutes. You know, I mean, my God, the scene alone when the guy's punching Jason and then Jason takes one punch and knocks his head off. It's great. <laughs> it's absolutely hysterical. McGruber, really? Yeah, no one's using McGruber in a lie. Like, oh, yeah, we use. No. It would have been funnier if McDaniel said, yeah, we we're watching Bohemian Rhapsody because everybody says I look like Rami Malik. <laughs> but it's like, but that's the thing. It's like, are they like on fucking Mars in the Dolphins organization? Like, is this exactly what you would want to relay to the press? Is this what you want to relay to the press? Where they basically say, you know, the guy was in the hospital. He just got a concussion. And he's being released from the hospital. And you're downplaying it by going, yeah, me and him were hanging out on the plane. We were watching a movie together. Everything's great. Everything's fine. I mean, I can't. And the thing is, those are the types of things that are season changers. 
those are the types of things that become season changers for them for like teams like the Dolphins or any team. Because you didn't take care of your quarterback, and now it's going to bite you in the ass. So he's already not playing on Sunday against the Jets because they don't know when he's coming back now. The timeline, there's no timeline for his return. He could be out for like six weeks. And what do they always say about concussions? It's not the first one that gets you. It's the second one. Yep. Because the first one, you're not 100% healed yet. It's the second one that's going to that's gonna mess you up pretty bad. I mean, look, I'm happy he's not playing against the, the Jets because, you know, we could use the win. But um, – but it's just all about it's just all about player safety. And the yeah. thing is, what bothered me the most was these NFL guys in ESPN. They're blaming the field turf. They're blaming this. They're blaming that. They're not blaming Mike McDaniel because they love Mike McDaniel. They want him to win Coach of the Year. They want the Dolphins back in the Super Bowl. Nobody is taking Mike McDaniel to task on this. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Mike McDaniel is not a medical professional. I understand that. He does not have – he is, doesn't have a degree in medicine. He has never, you know, tended to patients before. He doesn't know how to do diagnostics or anything like that. I totally get that part. But all you have to hear is back and knee injuries or ankle injuries or whatever it was. Back injury alone, there's no way I'm flipping him on a four days on a short week. Hey, absolutely right. Like – like it's just oh I just can't believe this. With the Dolphins, it's all about winning. That's all they give a shit about. Mike McDaniel, all he wants to do is win, and I get that. I like that. I I like that in the coach. Okay, I really do. I don't want to see losses every Sunday, but take into the factors that your quarterback just got thrown down to the ground. He was put on a stretcher. Okay, he wasn't like just put on the the truck and driven up. He was put into an ambulance and driven to a hospital. The day the game before against Buffalo, he couldn't stand up at one point. Watch the tape. It's fucking disturbing. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's, 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 it's like, and the Dolphins are like, and Mike McDaniel's like, yeah, I'm standing by what we said. He has back and neck injuries. He couldn't stand up. Like he, like, collapsed. he almost collapsed to the ground. Like it just it just shows that he's basically valuing valuing wins more than Tua. It's like, I get it. You don't like Tua, fine. You don't like him. You don't want him to be a quarterback of the future, fine. But don't risk the kid's future. Yeah. And it was just like, I, I was blown away. Like, I, I was so blown away. And the thing was, the Dolphins are having, a, are having a good season. They are. But They really are. This is the type of thing that can be a fucking season changer right here for Miami. Because now you have to go with Teddy Bridgewater, at least for this Sunday. Teddy Bridgewater is – I mean, I don't know if Teddy Bridgewater is better than Tua. They're definitely two totally different quarterbacks. Oh, yeah. Teddy Bridgewater is more of a dink and dunk guy. Like, he doesn't throw deep very much. I mean, this is just a absolutely terrible job by the Miami Dolphins. Like, that's it. And if I, I feel bad for Tua because, quite frankly – well, I don't think his career is over. It's going to take a while for him to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's something that could have easily been avoided. Trying to blame the field turf. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like, you know, 
there are and I forget. Uh-oh. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's nothing. Not not in regards to me. Okay. <laughs> but there are a lot of players who play on field turf every Sunday and walk away unscathed. Okay? You can't keep blaming the fucking field turf for everything. Guys get hurt all the time. Football has become a war of attrition. That's right. what it is. Guys get hurt. Guys tear their ACL all the time. I'm sick of it being blamed on field turf. I'm sick and tired of it being blamed on the weather conditions. Okay? This is football. This is what you sign up for. Did the guy throw Tua down a little hard? Yeah, he did. But that being said, you watched your quarterback get taken off on a stretcher with a neck brace on. And Mike McDaniel the next day is sitting there going, yeah, we were laughing and everything was fine. I'm like, what? I was like, if he he was fine, then why the hell did he get carted off with all that shit? No one's fine. As an EMT, you're not fine if you're putting getting put in a neck brace and getting carted off the field. We're saying, hey, you can't walk, so we're gonna cart you off the field. Like I this is this is shit I see all the time as an EMT. Like if I'm putting you in a neck brace, you're not okay. You're not okay if I'm putting you in a neck brace. And I'm I can't telling you right now, mark my words, and I don't know if we'll be doing the show a year from now or whatever, but something tells me that Tua is gonna be on another team. And I am convinced that the truth about this story is going to come out by him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I am 1,000% convinced that Tua is going to find a way to tell his side of the story, and it's not going to paint Mike McDaniel in a good good light. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out at the end of the season. Because I'm telling you right now, if I was Tua, I'd be seeking fucking legal action against my team. But I can't do that. But i like, this is bullshit. I'm like, I would have been reaming my coaches out. No, but see, it, doesn't this now doesn't it come back to the doctors on the team too to say like, yeah, two is not playing. Like, you know, can't this this can all really tie back to the coach, to the doctors and the trainers and everything? Because the thing is, the doctors that, tell the coach what's going on. The right. doctor gives his medical opinion. If a doctor is telling Tua after he almost collapsed on the field, yeah, he's good. He just we just did the basics. Okay, because I don't know what goes into concussion protocol. I don't know when on the sidelines during a game. I mean, do they just do oh, follow my finger? You know, like I, I, I have no idea. Yeah, me neither. But whatever it is, it's a very quick test. But at the same time, Mike McDaniel should just have common sense to see what his quarterback is going through out there to say, you know what, I can't play this guy right now. He needs to sit. That is why you have a backup quarterback. That is why you have Teddy Bridgewater. And the worst case scenario is Tua misses a game or two while he just gets himself together, and then you have Teddy Bridgewater. That is why you sign Teddy Bridgewater. Yep. And instead, McDaniel, in my opinion, and people could disagree all they want because, like I said, all these ESPN NFL guys, all these NFL analysts fucking love Mike McDaniel. Nothing is more mind-boggling to me right now where after three weeks, The Athletic is putting an article out that says, well, Mike McDaniel's the front-runner for Coach of the Year. After week three. It is just, like, 
It's common sense. You see that on the field, you know not to put him out there. You should exactly. know not to put him out there. I don't give a shit what a doctor tells me. Okay? Two is gonna two is not gonna tell you I can't go out there. Two is not gonna sit there and say, no, coach, I'm I'm not, I'm out. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> he's not gonna do it. Yeah. And he's not gonna come out to the media afterwards and say, Yeah, well, I told him and he didn't want to listen, so he put me in. Yeah. You have to, you know, the coach's job is to not only put do what's right, but also to protect the player from himself. And this is one time where I don't care how much you love Mike McDaniel, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And you might have inadvertently really damaged this kid's career because when he comes back, we don't know what type of quarterback he's going to be. Coming back from a concussion and all this stuff is not easy to do because then it's from a mental perspective at that point. What happens if you feel the rush? What happens if somebody right. rushes after, you know, you, you're getting you're getting pressure from a defensive end? Right. Are you going to just get rid of the football and not wait for the play to develop? Those are things that you have to worry about. That It's bigger than just the physical part of it. It's the mental part of it. You got thrown down to the ground. And you hit your head on the on the turf. Do you really think you're going to be that much ready to just say, yep, I'm all in, and then the minute you get blitzed up the ass by a team, what happens? You're going to throw the ball away before the play develops. You're going to throw a terrible interception because you didn't let the play develop. Mm-hmm. It's 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 yeah. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna come out good for whoever is responsible for this because again, two is a young quarterback. Like again, they were on the verge of being. I, like I said, I I the way they've been playing, I was like, oh shit, they look unstoppable. To be perfectly they look honest, they, they, they look, look real good. Tyree kills real good. Tyree kills been terrific. The defense has been good. Their secondary is not really that great, and Xavier and Howard. I think Xavier Howard's going to be out too on Sunday because he hurt his groin in the game on Thursday. So they've been playing good football, not taking it away from them. You know, I also think in week two they got lucky because Baltimore completely collapsed on on defense because they were winning. The, Baltimore was winning that game thirty-eight to seven. So for the Baltimore Ravens to completely collapse like that, and that's also why you, I don't, I am not sold on the Baltimore Ravens this year. So at the end of the day, I'm more pissed off at the fact that people are giving McDaniel a pass and they're not really taking him to task on this one because the buck stops with him. He is the head coach. And if you know you have a quick turnaround and your quarterback is banged up pretty bad, you can't put him out there. Right. Especially when you have 14 more weeks left of the season. And you are not going to want to start Teddy Bridgewater for 14 weeks. Okay, he should have just sat him last week. Been okay, cool. Maybe we'll take an L this week. Doesn't matter. At least we have to, at least we have Tua for the for the long haul now. And now, who the hell knows? All right. So getting to the New York teams, we'll close it out with that for this week. Um, we'll start with the Jets. Um, Jesus Christ, Clem, what the hell's going on? Busy department. Busy, busy, busy now. <laughs> We're good. Um, We're good. You know, it's kind of funny. We'll, we'll do the Jets first and we'll close with the Giants. 
Um, I mean, there's really not really a lot to talk about the Giants, but we'll get to the we'll do the Jets first. If I have to say one thing about this season, okay, it's that have you ever noticed like the ebbs and flows? It's like mm-hmm. when the Jets do bad, it's like we gotta fire Sala. We gotta get yeah. rid. Of, you know, why do we have Joe Flacco back there? Let's start Mike White and everything. And Joe Flacco wins. And then everybody's now talking about, well, if Joe Flacco beats the Bengals the following week, we can't start Zach Wilson ever again. Joe Flacco is the hot hand and everything. And then Joe Flacco plays like shit against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then it becomes the Zach Wilson is the savior. Okay? And again, this is what I hate about our fan base, Clem. This is exactly what I hate about these fucking beat writers and, and these fans. Now you're putting a ridiculous amount of pressure on the kid to come in and be the savior. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't do it week four, are you going to run his ass out of town like you run everyone else out of town? Okay. Now, look, the Jets have pissed me off, too, in a few ways because, you know, you come off a very – one of the most emotional victories in team history over the Cleveland Browns. So I expected them to come back with some momentum for a home game against Cincinnati. Okay. And what do they do? They do exactly the same shit they do every week. They come out flat. Joe Burrow marches them down the field, scores a touchdown on the opening drive. They can't get to the quarterback. Flacco can't do shit. And they got their ass kicked, basically. They got Mm -hmm. their ass kicked. Now you fast forward to Pittsburgh, Mitch Trubisky. We get Zach Wilson back. You know, one of the crazy things is on offense, the Jets have been relatively healthy all season except for the line, which is just so happens to be the most important players right now to protect the quarterback. We don't have Mackay back then. We don't have Dwayne Brown. We don't have George Fant. We just lost Max Mitchell for a few weeks, who was playing pretty well on the right side. They had to move Elijah Vera Tucker out to left tackle, who and he killed it as far he as did. Easily right now, Elijah Vera Tucker, top five lineman in the league. Oh, he's so good. And no one's going to tell me differently. And I'm not trying to be biased because I'm a Jets fan. I just see it. I see it. And the thing is, the Jets have more depth at guard than they do at tackle. So that's why I think they made the move, because then they could put another guy at guard who was actually not bad. Um, Herbig, it was Nate Herbig, I think was the guy. So the Jets go into Pittsburgh. Trubisky's playing like shit. More on him in a minute. Okay. Jets come out to a 10-3 lead. And then the Jets do what they always do. It's like you could go into the half with a 10-3 lead. Jordan Whitehead picks the ball off. And Carl Lawson is called for uh, roughing the passer. Which now puts Boswell in line for a 59-yard field goal. And of course he makes it, Clem. Of course. And the Jets go in 10-6. And now here comes Kenny Pickett. And I'm saying to myself, Mike, here's where the Jets are going to freaking fall apart. Because they're not going to know how to scheme up for, for a rookie quarterback. And they're going to let this guy march, you know, go crazy on them. And so on. And I thought the funniest thing about the Kenny Pickett stuff was everybody making a big deal because apparently he's the first quarterback, rookie quarterback, Ever. And this is where stats and analytics have just completely ruined sports. Mm-hmm. He's the first quarterback, rookie quarterback ever, 
to rush for two touchdowns in his debut game. Who cares? Who cares? Why is this such a big deal to elaborate on? And the thing was, was like, I was watching Zach. Listen, I think Zach made some good passes. He had one bad interception that he airmailed when he was trying to get it to Smith. Got picked off by Fitzpatrick. The second interception he threw, Conklin should have had that one. It was in his hands. He just didn't hold on to it. And all of a sudden, a 10-6 lead becomes a 20-10 deficit. And we're like, oh, okay, here we go. The game's over or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Zach wakes up. Zach wakes up. He starts hitting Corey Davis, who had a huge game. He starts hitting, you know, Brees Hall had a great game. Conklin had another strong game outside of that drop. He's getting Elijah Moore involved. He's getting Garrett Wilson involved. Barrios throws the touchdown to Wilson early in the game. They're doing the gritty. Right? And you just see the confidence in Zach. Mm -hmm. And he throws a touchdown to Corey Davis, and all of a sudden they're only down three. Then the defense gets a huge turnover. Michael Carter intercepts that pass. And then you see those passes that Zach makes that are like, no one can do that. Mm-hmm. The one, the Corey Davis that we thought he dropped, or like, oh. looked, remember, like you couldn't see it because like the camera was on the left side of the field when, and like you couldn't even tell he caught it, and he caught it. But you see how perfect that pass was. Yes, it was. It was. I thought it was a great game played by Zach. Yeah, there were still some mistakes that Zach made. Sure, but he played. Yeah, I expect Rust. Yeah. See, again, he hadn't practiced much in the preseason because he got hurt in the first game. He has no. He had little to no reps with the first string offense. Okay, you had to expect rust. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. Comes with the territory. I. Lo- I mean, I was more. I was more okay with the fact that he was. His first game back was on the road compared to at home. Okay, but when he needed to make the throws, he made it. When he needed to get the march the team down the field, he took care of business. Mm-hmm. He looked good. He looked real good. Like when it came down to time. Yeah, sure. Like I said, he made some mistakes earlier on in the game. When it came down to to be the savior, like everyone's saying, he 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 looked good. He looked real good. And I can't I can't really knock him for what the way he played. He looked really good. And that's why I'm always optimistic about Zach because I think he can play in this league. I think he can be a good quarterback. And you know what I loved about the play calling on Sunday? Is that they still fed Brees Hall the ball for rushing plays. They didn't just automatically go pass, 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 pass. They broke it down. LaFleur did a very good job of the play calling. I know there were some plays I would have liked to have had back. Yeah. I mean, like there were some plays you like were like freaking out because like when they tried to do the they handed it off to Carter. Carter threw it back to Wilson, and Wilson dropped it, and it just was like oh, Waterfinger. Well, to go, let me ref, let me go off of that play. I thought that was very, very smart by Zach Wilson to not only pick up the fumble, which I still don't understand how he picked it up. He picked up that fumble, and then he threw it out of bounds. So smart thinking right there. Instead of taking the sack or trying to run for it. He threw it out of bounds. That way they didn't lose five yards on the play. I thought it was like, that was a really fucking smart play by Zach Wilson. Yeah. Great play. Great heads-up football right there. 
So Ben Simmons in his first game, 19, point, 19 minutes, six points, four rebounds, five assists. Not Love bad. to see it. Love to see Not it. Bad. Not bad at all. So now they got that. I wanted to see how he did because I knew he was playing today. So getting back to what I was saying, there's something about this Jets team I have to admit that's unlike the others. Mm-hmm. Okay. Most of the time I would have felt the Jets would have mailed it in at that point when they were down. But I got to give Sala credit. And I've been I've been really pissed with Sala because, you know, Sala was supposed to be this big-time motivator. Sala's supposed to be this big-time, passionate guy about football, loves this, loves that, and everything. But I never saw it in the players. Mm-hmm. And then meanwhile, you see guys like Brian Dayball doing a great job with the Giants, and those guys want to play for him. They play hard for him. Okay? Yeah. They, the Lions, I know the Lions are 1-3, and three, but they play hard for Dan Campbell. They know they're not the most talented team in the league, but they still play hard for him. Okay? I didn't see that with the Jets with Salah in the beginning. Ravens game, they looked like they didn't look that good. Bengals game, they looked terrible. The Browns, they needed a miracle comeback to beat them. And the Steelers, they had to come from behind, but they looked more like a complete team against the Steelers. Mm -hmm. This team has talent. Sauce is killing it right now in corner. Sauce and DJ Reed are two of the best cornerbacks in the league. What was the last time you could say that about Jets cornerbacks? Not since Revis and Camardi. So ten, almost 10 years, over 10 years. Jermaine Johnson off to a great start. Two sacks already in four games. Carl Lawson starting to come around. And I've been saying this to people for a while. They need to activate Bryce Huff. And they finally did it because his speed with Lawson is a it's a game changer, man. No, the you know what it is, and I, I said this going into this game against Pittsburgh. I said it to our loyal fan, Mike Laws. I was like, you know what? I think this team is gonna turn around with Zach Wilson back in the lineup, whether it was off offense and defensively. Because you saw the defense, you saw Lamarcus Joyner and Jordan Whitehead both have an incredibly good game yesterday. You know, we saw that we saw the pass rush getting to the quarterback, something we haven't seen the first couple of games. Linebackers are playing good. The offense, I don't have to say the offense says it for itself with Zach Wilson back in the lineup that it's like, okay, we actually look fucking good. Like with Zach Wilson in the lineup, it made this whole team fantastic. Like it made this whole team just play better. And that's what you need. I mean, but Clem, even guys like, you know, Quan Alexander. Quan Alexander's having a great has having a oh, season. So season. good. He's great. But this is why you don't get rid of Joe Douglas. Okay. You can't get rid of Joe Douglas. I'm sorry. You just can't. I don't care. The foundation that he's putting together right now, his last two drafts have been incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about 2020. 2020 is dead in the water as far as I'm concerned. That that does not I mean that draft is pretty much a is a boss. But then 21. Everybody's going to live and die by Zach Wilson, right? They're going to pretty much say, like, well, the 2021 class is really based on Zach Wilson. Not necessarily. Elijah Vera Tucker is one of the best linemen in the league. Elijah Moore is a major contributor on the offense. Michael Carter is a major contributor on the offense. Brandon Eccles had a pretty solid rookie season for a sixth-round pick and saved their ass in the Browns game when Sauce got hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. Because they went after him, and Eccles made two key stops to prevent the touchdown. 
you know, Pinnock, I know he's not on the team anymore, but Pinnock was actually doing some pretty decent things for them. And now you go to this draft. Garrett Wilson contributing. Jermaine Johnson contributing. Sauce killing it. Reese Hall, Max Mitchell. Reese Hall, Max Mitchell, who you just threw into a right tackle spot. You've already thrown, you're throwing that guy out into the deep end right away. And has Michael Clemens looks pretty decent. Yeah, he is. Max Mitchell has not been elite by any stretch, but he's been better than we thought he was going to be. And this is him as a rookie. Yes. Michael Clemens. I love Michael Clemens. So do I. That guy's the scariest guy I've ever seen in my life. But the foundation's being built. And so far, these last two drafts have shown so much potential. This is why I can't get rid of Joe Douglas right now. And now they're two and two. When was the last time we could say we were two and two in the month of September? Going into October. It's been a fucking while. Okay. Like it's. But they're resilient. They're not a team that lays down and dies anymore. They're down 20 to 10. They fucking come back. Mm Mm-hmm. They come back. I mean, like, they come back and score two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And they freaking win, and they beat, and they go into a tough – they're 2-0 on the road. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I could say that they were that good on the road. 2-0 on the road. And, again, it's not like, you know, we were going up against, like, slap slap dig teams. The Browns have a pretty good defense, and so does the, even without TJ Watt, the Steelers' defense is still pretty good. The Steelers, to- the Steelers are a decent team, but they are the worst team in their division. They're not good enough for their division. I think their division is just too much better. And when the Browns get Deshaun Watson back, it's not going to bode well for the Steelers. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, is the Steelers still have Najee Harris. They still have Deontay Johnson. Pat Fryermuth is a very underrated tight end. They still have Minka Fitzpatrick anchor in the secondary. They could still get after the quarterback. Yeah, they still have Casey Hayward. They still have Devin Bush. Like, the defense is still there. They still have a good defense, even without T.J. Watt. I think Alex Highsmith leads the AFC or the NFL in sacks right now. Yeah, he's good. It's not like the Steelers don't have players. And the thing is, the Jets went into their house – and overcame a 10-point deficit to beat them by four. I mean, I have to give Salah credit. I really do, because I was worried about Salah. I was getting tired of watching this team being unprepared at home and not knowing how to stop Joe Burrow and not knowing how to get after the quarterback. And this was one of the first games that I saw that they played really good, and they were in it until the end. Mm-hmm. They were in it to the end. It wasn't like a 30 to 12 and they get a garbage touchdown at the end just to make it a little bit more, you know, interesting. They were in it till the very end. And then Brees Hall runs it in. I love the call to go to Brees. But most importantly, I loved Zach's confidence. And that's what you want to see out of your quarterback. I was like, you don't understand how happy I was when they won that game. Because I was at, of all places, I was at a wake. Oof. I was at a wake. And I was like, well, I can't really watch the game. And then we, I was in Jersey, and I had to drive all the way back from Jersey that night, that day, in the torrential downpour from Sunday. 
But I was like, and like, I had my phone off. I didn't have my ringer on because I, I turned my ringer off when I got to the to the place. I forgot to turn it back on. So people are texting me and I'm like, I can't. I'm driving. I can't. Wait. <laughs> it's like driving me freaking crazy. And I'm like, shit. And I finally got to my in-law's house and I pick up my phone and my brother-in-law is texting me going, you know, it's a really great day when both New York teams win. And I'm like, wait, what? Then I'm like, oh, he's a Buffalo fan. <laughs> so I'm like, so I thought he meant Buffalo and the Giants. And I'm like, and it sure as shit, like, I'm like, oh, fuck, the Jets, I can't believe the Jets won. It's like, you know, and stuff. It was, it was all around great performance by them yesterday. There were definitely some hiccups, but the resiliency that they showed was probably the most impressive thing. And I cannot say, I don't remember the last time I could say that about any Jets team, maybe since Rex. Mm-hmm. Now, where I'm going to pump the brakes is this morning when everybody's now saying that, well, Zach Wilson's the strongest quarterback the Jets have had since Joe Namath. Okay? We don't need to go that far. It's one game at a time. That's how the Jets should be looking at this. Okay? Now, I don't, now this Sunday is their first division game against Miami. There'll be a lot of Dolphin fans in MetLife Stadium. Take it one game at a time. Go in there fired up to freaking win a game in front of your home crowd. Go out there and win that game in front of your home crowd. Play your balls off out there. Get after Teddy Bridgewater. I want to see the same pass rush I saw against Pittsburgh against Miami. Mm -hmm. You know, if Zach can cut down on the mistakes, if the receivers can cut down on the drops – Penalties. And the yeah, penalties, penalties. Some of the penalties are backbreaking. They're backbreaking penalties. But I think this team is slowly starting to get it. And I hope it continues. The fact that they went two and two, and that's what's crazy about this. Two and two, Clint. Which is yeah, I can't it's a five hundred record. And we're we are so excited about a two and two record. I cannot remember the last time I've been that excited for a team. I can't. But I love the fight. I love the resiliency. I love the fact, most importantly, they never quit. Yep. This is this is a different Jets team that we, we're, we're used to. It. I'm, I, like, I watched the game yesterday. I couldn't have been more proud of this Jets team just because of the way they played, the resiliency – the way they came together again. This and this is the second game they came back from. It's not like, oh, you know, this was just, you know, we were only down ten points. It's the second game against a good team. The AFC North. We went we went two and two to the AFC North. Like that was not that is not bad. That is not bad whatsoever. So, Overall good game. Again to the Giants. As I said before, Dayball has got those guys playing well. However, I just – I don't know if the Giants are a super talented team or not, but with the roster they put together, they're playing hard. Mm-hmm. And they're playing hard for Dayball, which, you you know, you you can't escape that. And it's impressive. It's fun. It's definitely fun to watch. The way they came back against the Titans in Tennessee week one, they played well against Carolina week two. 
They played like shit against. They played like I wouldn't say they played like shit against Dallas, but they didn't play their best football. And again, that's a division game, and those are the ones that matter the most. And then they played the Bears, and they played well against. They played okay against the Bears, but the Bears are. It's tough to really gauge the Bears because I just think they have no offense whatsoever. Justin Fields does not look that great. I don't know if it's because of the supporting cast around him. Uh, you know, bless you. Thank you. Um, his offensive line sucks. I don't know. But now the Giants have an interesting dilemma on their hands because it has to do with Saquon Barkley. But Saquon Barkley's been running the ball really well the first few games of the season. The Giants, I think, if I remember right, they declined his fifth-year option. Mm-hmm. Now it becomes a question of do you franchise him and pay him big bucks or do you trade him at the deadline and try to get like picks for him? And the Giants have a very interesting dilemma because most running backs, I don't know if you want to get them paid. Like guys like Derrick Henry are one thing, but at the same time, Saquon has an injury history. And that's what you got to be careful of. You're the Giants because go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, the Giants fans are just like Jets fans. You know, they love to be like, they love, they're like, oh, they, in the moment, they'll love what they'll do. They're like, oh, yeah, we signed Saquon to five years. He absolutely deserves it. Saquon gets injured the next year. How the hell can they give him that kind of a contract? What's the matter with him? He's a running back, blah, blah, blah. They're, they're, they're just as bad as Jets fans. Like, they love to complain. So, no matter what happens, the Giants fans will find something to bitch and moan about signing, either signing, Saquon or getting rid of him like how can you get rid of him he's such a good running back for us yeah when he's healthy you just have to hope with Saquon that he doesn't get hurt because if he gets yeah. hurt the Giants season will just fall apart yeah because no and I, what, I, you're I learning, what you're learning after four weeks is I don't think Daniel Jones is the answer at quarterback has he been dealt a shitty hand? A little bit. But I also think he hasn't also taken advantage of the opportunities. Not to mention the fact that he's literally playing with no receivers because Sterling Shepard tore his ACL and Kenny Galladay's in the doghouse. Kenny Galladay's not even playing. You know, he's healthy. He's just not playing. Dayball just doesn't like him. And that, and that hurts. So it's a lot of it. You know, the offensive line has not been great. Tyrod Taylor got a concussion the other day, you know, at the game. Daniel Jones was hurt. Saquon Barkley had to be the third-string quarterback, the emergency quarterback, because both of his quarterbacks got hurt. But I have to give a lot of credit to Dayball for the job he's doing, and I'm not trying to – I'm not going to dismiss any of their victories because they were all very hard-fought victories. And, you know, I got to give the Giants their respect because they deserve it. Absolutely. And again, Saquon's putting this team on his back right now because honestly, if they didn't have Saquon, this offense would be absolutely god awful. Defense is playing pretty decent. Not bad. Not bad so far. Look, they're keeping them in these games. Look, I mean, look, they haven't played anyone fantastic yet, but they're beating up on the bad teams, which which you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be beating up on the bad teams. Now, their schedule's going to get brutal. Their schedule's going to hit some rough spots. They're already 0 1 against the division. The Eagles are 4-0. The Cowboys are 3-1 and without Dak Prescott. And, you know, the Giants are right there. So, But the Giants' loss came against Dallas. So that's that's kind of a, you know. And I don't know if this is a playoff year for them. I think this is just a more of an evaluation year for them. Mm-hmm. So 
right now, I like where they're going. I think they will hit a wall at some point. But the important thing at this stage is protect Saquon at every way possible. Yep. Where they go from here with regards to a contract, I don't know. But the Giants' offensive line has not been that great to start the season. I mean, they were doing some some rookie standings, and Max Mitchell was actually ranked second. And Evan Neal was ranked at the bottom. Now it's only week three, so you don't really take much into it. You wait to the end of the season. Now, obviously, that'll change because Max Mitchell is hurt and he's out for the season. Or he's not out for the season, but he's out for like four or five weeks. The Braves lost. The Braves lost. The Mets got rained out, right? Right. Mets got rained out. Yeah, I figured. And of course, so the they play, play fucking doubleheader. So the only way I would say the only way we we can win the East is if we sweep the Marlins and I mean sweep the Nationals and the Bra- the Braves get swept by the Marlins. That's it. Yeah. I wouldn't hold. I wouldn't hold. Uh, oh, I'm not holding my breath. But just be prepared to play the wild. Play the wild card game. We'll see. We'll we'll see San Diego. All right. Um, I really don't have anything else. You got anything else? Yeah, I just want to talk about the Suns losing to that Australian uh, professional basketball team. How the hell can you call yourself an NBA team when you're losing to the freaking? I don't care who. All the back, all the backups on the Suns should be better than any foreign basketball team out there, and you get smoked by the uh, what is it, the uh, Adelaide Thirty uh, Sixers? Embarrassing, terrible. Do they have any NBA guys? No, I mean, I, I they, they they I saw the update come up on my phone. I was like, yeah, this guy and this guy went off. I'm like, who the hell are these fools? I've never even heard of these guys. Like, but like again, like. You don't have any, like, I get it. Like, it's the preseason. You're not playing Chris Paul. You're not playing Devin Booker. I get that. But your backups should still be better than whatever this Australian professional team has been putting out. And you got you got smoked by them. You got smoked. You beat them. They, you lost to a professional Australian basketball team. You should be embarrassed. You should be embarrassed to call yourselves the Suns. There you go. Clem coming in hot as always. <laughs> Uh, just one last thing for me, and it was a report earlier this uh, last week that um, AEW's ticket sales are really struggling for a lot of their live shows coming up for Dynamite and everything. And, you know, I'm trying to think about how to say this. It's pretty safe to say that without MJF, AEW is dead in the water. Mm-hmm. They just don't have anything very interesting right now. Now you have reports of wrestlers wanting out. You know, Malachi Black was one that got released. Buddy Matthews now wants out. Um, there's a report that Andrade wants to be released. And all these guys are going to do is go right back to WWE. Yep. So um, there's been a lot of speculation that the White Rabbit on Raw could be Malachi Black. Um, or it could be Bray Wyatt. That's so why. I, I think it's going to be Bray Wyatt. I, I don't yeah. think it's going to be Mal- – I mean, I would love for it to be Malachi Black, but I don't think it's going to be Malachi Black. But – you know, watching Dynamite, it was like, you made Chris Jericho the ROH champion, all right? And my question to that is, why? Like, why does – the thing is, no one cares about the ROH belt. Like, no one cares about the ROH belt. And it's just like little things like that. And that was the main event, by the way, of Dynamite. That was the main event. 
was Chris yeah. Jericho against Bandito. That was your main event for AEW Dynamite. That is not a main event match, in my opinion. And I think at this point right now, it's not that I think that AEW is dying a slow death, but the CM Punk thing, I think, really rattled their cages pretty bad. And they're going to probably wind up buying him out from what I'm reading of his contract. So he's probably never wrestling for AEW ever again. And I think this is going to be a case, man, where they're going to put a lot of pressure on MJF to deliver every week. And, you know, MJF's promo last week was funny, but it wasn't like one of his better ones. Right. You know what I mean? And now they have him in a feud with Wheeler Yuta. And, you know, okay. I mean, I like Wheeler Yuta. He's a good wrestler. But it just seems right now like there's something with the way they're doing the booking. There's something that the way that there's too many factions in AEW, which we have talked about before. You know, I hate the fact that Brian Danielson is like playing second fiddle to Moxley in the Blackpool Combat Club. Mm-hmm. You know, then there's like other, you know, other factions that you don't really care about and everything. Um, and now you're seeing stories about ticket sales really on the decline for AEW because, again, they're just – there's nothing outside of MJF that's enticing you to go to the show. Like you honestly have to be like a really, really big wrestling fan to go to the show. Right. Because they put on good matches. Like they, do, they put on very good matches. I'm not saying they don't. But you can tell that Raw has the bigger, bigger star power. Mm-hmm. than SmackDown, than AEW. Because right now, AEW really has MJF and, you know, maybe Moxley. You know, I don't think if people people don't care about Jericho like they used to. But you have the bloodline in WWE. Now they're teasing the return of Bray Wyatt. And you know if that happens, the place is going to go batshit. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean... There's a lot, you know, a lot going on with WWE where now you got Gargano on the main roster. All the guys who left are coming back. That says a lot about the way Triple H runs the organization. Whereas in AEW right now, there are wrestlers that are not happy with their situation and they want out. Problem is they signed these lucrative contracts to go there and now they're stuck there. Yeah. They make I, it I, mean, I, I think we knew this was going to happen when Triple H took over. You know, we knew that raw and smackdown we're going to turn for the best in which it has raw and smackdown has been looking great nxt is going to look looks like it's returning to its normal self with uh with the black and gold be coming back and you know what like and like you mentioned like you have to be a real like hardcore fan of wrestling to be able to watch our AEW. because to be perfectly honest I don't give a rat's ass about the ROH championship. I can give a shit. I don't care it's about not even federation, Clem. It's like nothing. They don't have their own TV show. They don't have anything. They just care. have ROH matches on Dynamite or Rampage. But nobody cares about it. I mean, ROH is a good federation, but it's not something that people are going to pay big money to see on Dynamite. Nobody cares about it. They want yeah. to see the stars. They want to see the stars wrestling. They want to see the stars doing promo. That's what they want. They don't care about Bandito wrestling Chris Jericho, even if it is a really good match. The women's division in AEW sucks. It sucks. And now they have to bring Paige in. And then from what I read, they gave her a three-year deal. When was the last time she even wrestled? Yeah. And from what from what I heard from that deal, it's like she may she may do some wrestling. And the promo she gave last week was flat out 
awful. It was awful. Like, like as much as much as you know, when we watch WWE, you could tell what's scripted and what's not. Yeah, sometimes you need a script, man. And I don't think I really don't think that you know AEW really has guys writing for the wrestlers. I think the wrestlers come up with their own shit, and ninety percent of the time it's bad. Unless you're one of like, unless you're one of the young bucks or Kenny Omega or MJF or Jericho, who they don't need. They don't. They can write their own shit and it sound good. You know, but guys like like a Wheeler Yuta or a Penelope Ford or a Serena Deeb or any anyone like th- like that, they need some script. They really do because some of the shit they say is just god awful. It was just a bad. I mean, and the thing was like when I went to Dynamite, like I said, and I I always talk about this because it's so true. There's no structure to the way they do Dynamite, like when they do the tapings for Dynamite. Okay. They do – you have to watch AEW Dark Elevation, which is just a bunch of squash matches. Actually, a lot of the Creative Pro guys wind up on that show, right? Mm-hmm. The last time I went there, it was like VSK was on that show, Eric James, Bryce Donovan. Like all these guys were on from Creative Pro were on that show, okay? Then you have Dynamite. Then you got to wait 30 minutes for Rampage to start because you have to change everything over, and then after Rampage is over is like Tony Khan's big surprise. By that time, it's midnight. There's hardly anybody in the arena. Yeah. Everybody went home. You know, yeah, Darby Allen is a great is a great talent. I'm not saying he isn't, but he does the same thing every week. He just kills himself. He's going to die. Like, he's literally going to die at a young age. He's going to be like a Jeff Hardy. Because this guy is just killing himself with these suicidal moves all the time. It's just not a very well-run show. And then making it worse is the fact that I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on MJF to be the savior. Yeah. Okay? It was like, remember remember Dave Chappelle with Chappelle's mm-hmm. show? I remember how Dave Chappelle just had a nervous breakdown completely because like, he just, he just couldn't handle the pressure that was being put yeah. on him to be better than the week before and the week after that and the week after that. And he had to just kind of – he just had a complete – like meltdown and had to shut down the show altogether. Yeah. Not that I don't see that for AEW, but I could see that being the case with MJF where his promos just aren't clicking as much as they used to be. The thing is, is like you're kind of building him up to a heel, but he's already a face. Everybody loves him. He can see whatever he wants him and they're not going to care. People, people don't care. They're going to love him. He's their stone cold Steve Austin. But when you watch AEW, it's like, it has the feel of like a glorified indie show. And the thing is, the wrestlers on Dynamite, people just aren't crazy about. Like nobody cares about New Japan. Nobody cares about Ring of Honor. And then what's happening also with Tony Khan is, is that he's getting nervous that WWE keeps it being interested in guys. So he tries to sign them right away. Right. You know, WWE had reportedly reached out to Paige. They had reportedly reached out to Bandito. They wanted to sign Bandito. And then Tony Khan like, automatically gave these gave the two of them contracts. Like it's you know, you when you watch all this shit, it's it's not it's just not a good product, man. Like you mentioned, like it's a glorified indie show. Yeah, it really it really is, you know, and it's like that's not what it is. You need some structure, you know, and the guys who've been around the block once or tight twice, like I said, like Moxley. Danielson, the Young Bucks, Omega, 
uh, MJF. You know, MJF, Darby Allen, like Jungle Boy are like the only exception. So like the, but the guys who've been doing this for years and years and years and years, they know what to do. You know, they've been in WWE. You know, they they've been superstars in New Japan, so they know how to how how, stru- how structured you know wrestling match can go or how a promo can go. But for the guys who are like like a Darby Allen, a Kip Sabian, you know, the uh, Dark Order guys, you know, those guys they don't they don't know, they don't know because they've all they've done. Is indie shit, and yeah, you get you got popular on the indie scene. That's great, but on the indie scene, there's no structure. You're doing it all yourself, really. But it's, it's eerily not... similar. It's eerily similar to WCW. Yeah. Eric Bischoff starts bringing in all the retreads and all the guys who weren't really big time in WWE, and and like I was listening to uh, What's Wrong with Wrestling, uh, the AEW show, mm-hmm. and you know, by the way, shout out to the Pisanos. Love those guys. Those guys are like the best, in my opinion. Funniest guys probably on the planet when they're doing wrestling shows. Mm-hmm. So, and now they've mastered the Finn Balor imitation, which I think is absolutely hysterical. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I haven't listened to them in weeks. Just not, right. not just because I have. I just haven't had the time to listen to any podcast of mine, uh, that I want to listen to. Oh my god, because I listen to them all the time now. Like, I, it gets me through my day at work sometimes too. Right, <laughs> but. And they made a very valid point. Is like every time now there's a promo by a wrestler, it's always taking a shot at WWE. Yep. And it's like Vince is living in Tony Khan's head. When Paige did it on on Wednesday, she made a comment like, oh, it's nice to have a boss that actually listens to me. And she waits for the reaction. And she's like taking a cheap shot at Vince. And it's like, Every former WWE person comes in, and this is what they do. It's like, like how many different ways do you have to do this? Like, how many different ways do you have to badmouth WWE? You should not be wasting your time in promos badmouthing your competition. Yeah, because you don't you don't hear WWE doing it, and if they do, it's not every week. They do it once in a blue moon, which is great. You want to hear it once in a blue moon because if you hear it every week, like. Oh yeah, I my boss didn't listen to me. Oh, if they only let me hold the title in here and do this and that, you know, it gets stale if you're saying it every week. WWE does it every now and again, where it's like, oh shit, they said something about Kenny Omega, or oh my god, the 2024 like, War for I want to say it happened like three times during Dynamite last week. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 annoying because it's like, oh, they mentioned WWE again, like. Cool, but it's always like these subtle, these subtle digs at like Vince and everything, and I don't know. It, it's just weird. Like they, it's like WWE is living rent free in Tony Khan's head. Yeah. And the thing like, is, he's not he he has a, so much talent, and he's not putting out the best proc product. Yeah. And that's very strange for a guy who has all this top notch talent on his roster. I know Adam yeah. Cole's hurt. I know Kyle O'Reilly's hurt. I know he's got some injuries. I know the punk thing didn't exactly, you know, that definitely set them back. But this is your time to develop new stars, and you're not doing it. Like, for example, you don't, like Luchasaurus, you made him into a heel. He needs to be wrestling every week then as a heel. Yep. If that was the plan. You know, every week, Moxley should be wrestling. Every week, Brian Danison should be wrestling. These are your top guys. MJF should be fucking wrestling, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're paying this guy basically millions of dollars to do promos. That's it. He, he, and he wrestles on a pay-per-view. 
I mean, I, I just, I just hate the way. Like, I don't. I'm not an AEW fan. I think they've completely jumped the shark, in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. WWE hasn't been that much better, so let's just get that out of the way too. But I think AEW has completely jumped the shark, and I think it only caters to people who are hardcore wrestling fans. People, and the thing, those are the people that are also the marks. Those are the people that are not going to sit there and criticize AEW for the shit they do wrong. Whereas, now listen, when the Pisanos do it, it's really just uh, Andrew, not Joe and Joe and Eric don't do uh, the AEW broadcast. But it's just a case of, you know, you're criticizing, I mean, you're making fun of it more than you are criticizing it, but what they're putting on TV every Wednesday to me is just not interesting. And you're just waiting for the MJF promo to come out. Cause that's all people want to see now is MJF. They don't give a shit about anything else. No. Yeah. Again, you're, you're right. And to go back to when MJF did his pipe bomb, he was absolutely right with what he said. You know, you guys, he called us all marks. If we're watching this product, cause we are all marks, you know, we wanted AEW to be better than WWE because WWE was such a shit product, you know? And he was like, oh, maybe you'd like me if I was a former WWE guy to Tony Khan. He's absolutely fucking right. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry I'm not a mark like the rest of you guys because I don't watch New Japan. He's absolutely fucking right. We don't care about New Japan unless you're a hardcore mark. We don't care about ROH if you're unless you're a hardcore mark. No one cares about this shit. Like, no one really cares unless you're literally the hardcore wrestling fan which I can honestly say most of most of the people who are trying to get into AEW are not. They really aren't. They just want to go. It's like when you go to Raw. It's like, who do you want to see at Raw every week? Seth Rollins, Riddle, you know, who else? Now, you you know, obviously Bailey and Io Shirai and Dakota Kai. And you're hoping the bloodline is there, you know, with Roman Reigns or, or Kevin whoever. Owens, you know, Kevin Owens, I Edge, those guys. Are there guys on the AEW roster besides MJF and maybe Moxley that you're sitting there saying, I really want to see that guy every week? There really isn't. That's my point. You know, like there really isn't. And whether they put on good matches or not is irrelevant. You know, I was, I was, I was having this conversation with Keith. Keith is a huge AEW fan. I won't go as far as calling him a mark, but I think that there are times where he feels like they can never do any wrong. And I'm like, Keith, I disagree. I'm like, I just think this is just not that great. You know, when Jericho won the ROH Championship, I'm like, well, who cares? Yeah, who cares? And he's like, he goes, I have no issue with it. And I'm like, okay, but I disagree. What is putting that belt on Jericho going to do for him? Yeah, no, well, yeah, it gets him what all the time. He's held all the titles in every w- in every wrestling promotion. Cool, that's awesome. I don't care. I could like really a, give a rat's ass. Like it's a funny nickname, the Ocho. Like I like it. I think that's kind of funny. I'll, I'll yeah. give him that one. You know, and he's taken this heel thing to a you know to a good to a new level. But yeah. Sammy Guevara is such a better wrestler than what he's doing right now on AEW, which mm-hmm. is just playing second fiddle. And then the whole time, it's like him and Ty Conti are shooting a porn movie. Yeah. No. You know? And I like Ty Conti. She's hot. But it's like, give me a break already with this. Like, I, I don't care if he got married to her. I don't care if he's like I, – I just could care less. Mm-hmm. Anna Jay is an absolutely terrible promo. No. Right? But it's just like – and then the, you know, the Ever-Rise guys, they're like kind of funny, but then they're freaking so annoying. Every week they do the same thing. 
Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's just not that interesting. Like it, like it was when it first started. Yeah. I think what's happening is they're banking on MJF to hit it out of the park. And that's going to put too much pressure on him as a wrestler. Whether, I mean, that's just my personal opinion on it because I don't think any of the other wrestlers on that roster can carry the roster. No, they can't. And I think, I think Tony Khan's starting to see that WWE is back on the rise and AEW is on a slow, on a slow decline. And trust me, and I really believe this, if Tony Khan actually believed that all those other wrestlers on that roster could carry the roster through Dynamite and Rampage, then he wouldn't be wasting his time signing wrestlers every 15 minutes. Exactly. He wouldn't be wasting his time bringing in Paige. Okay? Well, Paige, Paige is her. But now you got to give her probably a title run at some point. Now you have to... And then meanwhile, wrestlers, like we said, good female wrestlers like Ruby Soho are getting completely buried again on the roster. I would say signing Paige definitely helps, at least the women's division, because other than Britt Baker, Serena Deeb, Thunder Rosa, that's it. That's all they have in, in good wrestlers and people who can talk on the mic. At least Paige, yeah. Maybe you, you may get her in a match every now and again, but at least she brings something to the women's division that they don't have. The women's at the AW women's division is absolute dog shit. Just they're all good looking, kind well, of. I don't know, but he better fix it soon because I know ticket sales are really poor right now. When I went to see them in at a at UBS, the entire upper deck was blocked off, was tarped off. It's just not the draw that it once was when it first started, and now you have all these reports that the punk fight definitely set them back. And now you got reports of guys being very unhappy in AEW and they want out. So it's just going to keep, you know, it's just going to keep going and going and going. And I don't think, I think Tony Khan needs to hire better personnel around him to do booking and do all that stuff. But, Mm -hmm. you know, until then, I think you're just going to see more of the same. And to be honest, I don't think you really need to get people. You shouldn't be making people watch like a whole bunch of squash matches an hour before Dynamite. If anything, Mm -hmm. take Rampage before Dynamite. It's a tape program anyway. It's not live. So just tape it before. Oh, yeah. Tape it before at 7. And just say, okay, we're going to do Rampage now, and then we're going to do Dynamite at 8. And then we'll call You know, that's what Raw does. Raw tapes main event at 7.30. They do it for, like, they do two matches. Raw starts at 8, and they give you a, a main event match that goes off the air, like a dark match main event. Yeah. That's what you should do. But, again, I mean, and the fact that MJF has been back for this long and he's still not wrestling – it's just again, like I think he's got them by the balls, and Tony Khan knows it. All right, everyone, that is going to do it for this episode of Moffat on the Mic for this week. Thanks everybody for checking us out, whether on the live Facebook feed or you could follow the show on Instagram at Moff on the Mic and on my Facebook page as well. Follow Clem and the A1 Sports Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can subscribe to our show courtesy of Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review because it makes us feel oh so special at the end of the day. Clem, when would you like to do another show? I can be back next week if you want. Okay. So we'll do tentatively next week. If anything changes, we'll definitely make a note of it. But, again, uh, wherever you are, thank you very much for checking us out. Uh, Wherever you are, stay safe. Enjoy the rest of the week. Enjoy NFL football on Sunday. Hopefully the Jets make it two in a row. And um, that's pretty much it. So on behalf of Clint, this is Craig. Wherever you are, have a great rest of your week. We will be back next Monday night right here on the A1 Sports Network. Have a great week, everybody. Take care.